So, so good to be back. As Chaplain Lowe has mentioned, my claim to fame is not that I am the pastor at New City Fellowship in West End or the, uh, thank, amen, St. Louis shout out, um, or, or the director of homiletics at Covenant. It's that I'm Josh's dad. And, amen. And today is Josh's 22nd birthday. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So please make all checks out to Thurman Williams. At Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we'll be in a familiar passage to many. It's Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And the theme I'm taking right from the passage it's the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And I'm just going to read the first five verses and then pray, and then we'll jump right in. But hear now the reading of the Word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This is God's Word. Let's go to God together in prayer. Lord, we come and, and our hearts are mixed today. We have a mixture of joy on the one hand and still also, Lord, a mixture of sorrow with whatever is going on in our own lives. But we also think about our brothers and sisters in Nashville who've lost loved ones. We think about our brothers and sisters in this room who know people who are directly impacted by the tragedy of this week. And there are other tragedies that haven't been in the news, Lord, that have impacted us. And so we thank you that we can come and bringing all those things into your presence. Thank you that we're coming not to an old history book, but we're coming to the Word of God that is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we pray that you might work in us towards all those ends in the time that we have together this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place already. And we pray that you would continue to move in us so that not only would we be able to understand what we read, but we would be able by your power and by your presence in our lives to put it into practice. We're asking all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I wonder if you guys, when you were younger, had a favorite TV show. There's probably lots of them that you can remember, and I'm going to really make myself a nerd as I tell you what one of my favorite TV shows was. It was actually, you can put up that picture, Monday Night Football. <laughs> like, is that nerdy? That, that was my favorite show when I was little. And actually, this is, I don't know if you'll be able to remember this time. This was way before ESPN and all of those things like that, before the internet, I think. And so if you wanted to get highlights, 
you would have to wait until the next day to be able to see them. Can y'all imagine that? You can't see them immediately on your phone or on your computer. You would have to wait the whole next day. And so one of the things I looked forward to was at halftime of the Monday night game, they would show you the highlights of the day before. I would wait that long. And so I tried to time it so I did not get in trouble at school on Mondays. But one particular Monday I did, and of course the punishment was you can't watch Monday night football tonight. And so I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? I can't watch it. But then I got an idea. And at 9 o'clock when it came on, I got this idea. I came out into our living room where the TV was, and I sat with my back towards the television. And my mom says, what are you doing? And I says, I'm not watching the TV, Mom. I'm just listening to it. And I'm watching the reflection in the china cabinet right behind us. <laughs> you said I couldn't watch the TV, Mom, but I'm not watching it. And she says, essentially, fool, get out of here and go to your room. But think about that. What was I trying to do? Rather than adjust my behavior to the law that my mother had given me, I tried to adjust the law so I wouldn't have to adjust my own behavior. And that is exactly what happens in this passage in Luke chapter 10 that we come to. Now, now when I read earlier, it said a lawyer, and you have to understand that's an expert in biblical law. That's a person that's an expert in knowing the Bible. And it says in the verse, in verse 25, you can put that up, that he approached Jesus to put him to the test. And literally, it means to put him, to try to trap Jesus. If you go all the way back to chapter 4, where Satan is trying to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, it's the same word that describes how this man is approaching Jesus. Now, why might he be trying to trap Jesus? Why would anybody want to trap Jesus? Because they're looking at him and saying, everybody's following him and believes that this is a man of God, but how can he be somebody who's serious about the Word of God and yet hang out with these people that he hangs out with? Doesn't he know from God's Word that these people are unclean and that he shouldn't be around them? So they're trying to trap Jesus and show that he really doesn't care about the Word of God. And so how does he try to trap him? He comes and he says, teacher, in verse 25, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. And in verse 26, what does Jesus do? It says, he says, what's written in the law? And so what's, what's written in the Bible? And for them in particular, what's written in the Old Testament? How do you read it? And so the man quotes verses that everybody would have known in verse 27. He said, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And, and this is a quote from Leviticus 19 and your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 28, Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But then look at verse 29. It says, but he, and it says, desiring to what? To justify himself. What does that mean? In a religious sense, it means to be declared righteous, right, before God. In a negative sense, it could be trying to get over. That's exactly what I was doing with the rule before. I didn't want to follow the law, and so I tried to change around the meaning of it. And so how does this guy try to justify himself? What does he ask? Who is my neighbor? What's behind that question? There's some people that he wants to love, right? But then there's other people that he doesn't want to love. 
And so rather than adjust his own behavior to love his neighbor, he wants to adjust the definition of neighbor. So he doesn't have to change his own behavior. Isn't that something? That's what he tries to do. And so how does Jesus do that? And why is it even important before we say that? Why is it important for us to think about that? Just so we know this story from the Bible? No. Because we live in a time that is much the same way. When people look at one another based on on their gender, based on their race, based on where they're from, maybe based on their denomination, and decide those people aren't worth considering as neighbors. And the sad thing is that sometimes even within the church, we do that very thing. Maybe you've even experienced that on campus. Maybe you've experienced that in church where people didn't want to consider you as being their neighbor. Maybe you realize there's stuff in your own heart towards other people, where, whatever it might be. And so what do we do with that? How does Jesus help us? We only have time for two points today because i got to get you all to class. But we're going to look at two things that Jesus does. The first thing we want to look at is how Jesus answers this question. How he answers the question. And you look here, and this is really interesting in verse 30, excuse me, is that Jesus doesn't get into a philosophical or theological debate, does he? What does he do? He tells a story. And it says that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he says that he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And you can put up that picture that comes after that. This is a picture of that road. And you, can you see how it kind of winds and moves around in the mountains there? It starts out and you're something like 2,000 feet above sea level. And then by the time you get to Jericho, you're 1,200 feet below sea level. And so it descends like that and winds around. And so this is a literal thing that would happen, what Jesus is saying here in the story. People would get robbed on this road. They called it the bloody way a lots of times. Maybe you're from a place where people say, you don't want to be here at night in this place. That's the kind of road this was. And what happened on the road? Verse 31. It says, now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, it says he passed by on the other side. Now, it doesn't tell us why he passed by. Maybe he was afraid that the robbers might be close by. Maybe he thought it might be a trap and they're trying to get him. Maybe he thought if this man is dead and I touch him, I'm going to be unclean and not able to work in the temple. But it doesn't tell us why he passes by. But it says that when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, then in the next verse, Verse 32, it says, so to a Levite, and this is someone that assists the priest in the temple. It says, when he came to the place and he saw him, what happened? He also passed by on the other side. It doesn't say why, but it says that he, he did the same thing with this man in, in need in the middle of the road. And then finally, we come to the dramatic turn of the story in verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan. And this is a racial and religious outsider. It says a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had a different response, didn't he, when he saw him. It says that he had compassion. And that means to be moved from from the insides, from the bowels, at the plight of this man that's left for dead in the middle of the road. It says when he saw him, his heart broke for him. He had compassion. 
But it doesn't stop there with this heartbreaking. In verse 34, it says, He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine to heal those wounds. And it says, Then he set him on his own animal. And it says, He brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, he put him on his own animal, which now, what does that mean he's got to do? He's walking. But, but his care doesn't stop there. If you go to verse 35, the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Amazing demonstration of love. Amazing demonstration of what it means to be a neighbor. Really, he risked his life, right? At great cost to himself to try to help this man in need. But I want you to understand that there's more going on in this parable that meets the eye. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the lawyer. And you hear this story. And Jesus is telling the story about the man who gets beaten up and left for dead in the middle of the road. And, the, and then Jesus says a priest comes by and sees a man pass by on the other side. And you're thinking, uh-huh. And then a Levite comes by and he sees a man passes by on the other side. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And what you're expecting if you're that expert in the law, is you're expecting Jesus to say, somebody like you came along and was the hero of the story. But that's not what Jesus said, was it? Who did Jesus say came along? A Samaritan. Now, when he said that, the, the lawyer's mouth would have dropped. Some of what? Who? A Samaritan? What is Jesus up to? Jesus is not just giving a great example of what it means to love your neighbor. He's exposing the hatred in that man's heart and his lack of wanting to love his neighbors by making the hated one the hero. Now, I said Monday Night Football was my favorite show. There is my second favorite show. I don't know if you all have ever heard of this. You could put up that picture. Have you all ever heard of that show? Ask your parents about that, right, if, they have, if you heard it. Well, there's one, the star of the show, of course, is George Jefferson, the man there who's a dry cleaner who struggled and, and worked and worked and made it to a deluxe apartment in the sky, right, in New York City. And, and he's, he's kind of a loudmouth, you know, hot-headed guy. There's one particular episode where um, George and his friends, they get this flyer that says there's a community meeting that's going to happen in our building. Everybody come and find out how we can make the building a safer place and, and we can get rid of the people that are driving down our property values in this building. But what the flyer doesn't say is that it's a meeting of the Ku Klux Klan. But it doesn't say that on the flyer. It's undercover. And so George and his friends get the flyer. They're like, oh, this is great. We got to go to that meeting. And so the meeting starts and George is a little bit late and he walks in as the clan leader's up front and he starts talking and George walks right down to the front row and sits right here. And the clan leader looks at his assistant like, what in the world? What? And he's like, I don't know, just, just go on. And the man's talking from the front. He says, we've got to do something about the people that are driving down the property values in this building. George says, that's right. And he says, these people, we've got to get them out of here. George says, amen. And then the clan leader looks at George, and he says, I'm talking about you. And then all of a sudden, he realizes where he is. 
And if you watch the show, you know George, right? He's got a temper. And so he takes off his jacket and he jumps up and he's ready to go fight with the man. And his friends are holding him back and they're arguing back and forth. And then all, all of a sudden the clan leader starts to grab his shoulder and he falls down on the ground. He collapses. And his son is there and he comes over and, and he says, it's his heart. It's his heart. Is there anybody in here that, that knows CPR? Is there anybody in here that can administer CPR to my dad before he dies? And, and everybody's looking around and all of a sudden... There's one hand that goes up. Guess whose hand it is? George's. And George gets down and administers mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to the clan leader and saves his life. And then the way that episode ends is the ambulance comes and they put the, the leader in the journey there and, and the gurney and they're moving him out of the room and he becomes conscious again. And he's going, what, what happened? What happened? And he's talking to his son. He says, Dad, you fainted, and, and Mr. Jefferson saved your life. And he gets this look, and, and he turns over and looks at George, and he says, he saved my life? And he turns back and looks at his son, and he says, you should have let me die. And they wheel him out of the room. And then he says to his assistant, go on, continue the meeting, go ahead, go on and continue. And then everybody stands up, it's interesting, and they begin to walk out of the room one by one, including the leader's son. He gets up and leaves. Why? Because that man was exposed. How? By the hated one becoming the hero. And that is exactly what Jesus does in this passage with that expert in the law. And so there's a question that it causes us to ask, and that is, who's our Samaritan? Who is it for us? That if Jesus were telling that story, we would say, no, Jesus, that cannot be the hero. It might be a person of another denomination. It might be a person on a different hall. It might be a person from a different part of the country. It might be a person of another gender or or another generation or another race or another background. But who is it for you that if Jesus was telling that story, you'd say, no, Jesus, it couldn't be them. There's no way they could be the hero of the story. And the answer to that, that's Jesus showing us this is where we need to grow. This is where we need to think about how we're asking that same question of who is our neighbor. Now, let me ask you, is the expert in the law in a good place? He's in the best place because he's in the hands of Jesus, the great physician who the psalmist could look at and say, search me, O God, and know me, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way inside me and lead me in the way everlasting. God is able to do that, not just in his life, but he's able to do that in our own hearts. So the, third, the second question, the other thing that comes out here in answering the question, not only does Jesus do that, and we got to hurry with this, is he reverses the question. He doesn't just answer the question, he reverses it. If you look at verse 36, look at this verse, it says, which of these three do you think, talking to the lawyer, proved to be a neighbor 
to the man who fell among the robbers. Do y'all see what Jesus did? What was the question back in verse 29 that the guy asked Jesus? He says what? Who is my neighbor? But what does Jesus do here in verse 36? He reverses the question. Which one proved to be a neighbor? To the man who fell among the robbers. So let's see if he got it. Verse 37. He said, this is the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say the Samaritan. But he gets the point, doesn't he? The one who showed him mercy. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. What will that mean for you and I? To reverse the question and go and do likewise. What we saw from that Samaritan in the story is his heart was moved, right? And then his heart being moved, moved his hands to be moved on behalf of that person. And so the question is, first of all, what are the needs around us? Who are the people in need here on this campus? How about in Chattanooga? How about in the place that you're from? How about in our own world? Who are the people that are in need? And second, what did that man do? He, he gave as much of himself. He couldn't do everything, but as much as he had, he gave of himself until that need was met. And so what has God given you? You guys are amazing. I, I hope you know that. God is going to use you, and he is using you, to do amazing things in this world and in the lives of people. Not just my son. I know that's true for him, but all of y'all. What is it that God has given you? How has God gifted you? How has God made you to be able to use what he's given you to be a neighbor to the people around you? Now, where do you get the power to be able to do that as we get ready to close? Where do we get ready to do that? Where do we get the power to do that? Because honestly, as we're doing that, you guys know what happens, right? We get tired, right? Where do you find the power to get strength when you feel weary? Or to get hope when you feel discouraged? Or to find patience when you get frustrated? Or, or to find endurance when you feel like giving up? Where are you going to find that, right? We find it by looking in faith to the one true Good Samaritan. And who is that? It's not me. It's not your pastor or your professor. Oh, the one true Good Samaritan is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's telling this story. Let me ask you, as we think about that story that Jesus told, where do we put ourselves in that story? If you're anything like me, I always think of myself in the position of the hero of the story, right? But you know where we are in this story? We're the ones left for dead in the middle of the road. If not for an act of radical grace. In fact, we're worse off than that man in the story because he was just mostly dead. We were all the way dead until the one true good Samaritan came for us. And I wonder if there's anybody here that's glad today that the one true good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, didn't just have his heart broken for us. Oh, but his body was broken for us. He didn't just have his oil poured out for us. Oh, but his own precious blood was poured out for us. He didn't come just at the risk of his life, but he came at the cost of his life. 
Oh, I'm so glad today that Jesus Christ reversed the question for us. He looked at us, and I'm so glad he didn't say, if I give my life for them, what's going to happen to me? Instead, he said, if I do not give my life for them, what's going to happen to them? Knowing full well what would happen to him. That what we remember at the end of this holy week is that he would give his life on a Roman cross and bear not just the pain of dying on a cross, but bear the wrath of God for our sin upon himself so that we might be able to have life. And what is he doing now? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us that we might be a people that love the way that he loved. And so what about you today? Who is your neighbor? May God help us to be able to not just answer that question, but be able to reverse the question that we might prove to be neighbors among the people that are hurting and in pain and broken all around us because that's what our Savior has done and continues to do in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the one true good Samaritan. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our plight, but you gave all of yourself until the need was met so that we might be able to have life. And so we give you thanks for that today. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us, that you would show us our own hearts, that you would show us our Samaritans, and that you would change our hearts and move us outward to be able to reverse the question in our lives, on this campus, in this city, and all the places where you've called us and where you will send us. And we pray you would do that for your glory. And we say this in Jesus' name, and let all God's people say, amen. Amen.